The following aviation podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by thepilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 11. The podcast now has official gear for sale. Rick shares all about the AOPA Summit. Our special guest for the evening tells us about hot air ballooning, how he got started, the transition from fixed-wing aircraft, and what it's like to be a balloon owner. Our picks of the week and more coming up now on the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 11 of the Stuck Mike Avcast. I'm your host, Len Costa, and I'm joined with Carl Valeri, Rick Felty, Victoria Newville, and tonight we've got a very special guest, a slight deviation from our normal show, our normal show, but uh, before I get to that, I wanted to make an announcement. Um, we've just released some Stuck Mike uh, Avcast products, T-shirts, buttons, magnets, coffee mugs. Yay. And um, Rick spent a lot of time putting that together, and he did a very nice job, by the way. I was sewing them all by hand. <laughs> How long did that take? <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to know. <laughs> Wait, when you order them and see the quality, you'll know. <laughs> awesome. So uh, you can reach our new store if you go to stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash buy and you'll be redirected over to the store you can check out the products there make sure you do um, look more in depth around the store there's not just basic t-shirts there but you can find long sleeve shirts different types of colors designs um, you know whatever you want uh, we highly recommend you check it out and some we're gonna have some further developments about with the um, with the new product store in the next couple of weeks as well so keep a lookout uh, for that let's do the pre-flight before we do get started with our special guest this evening, Rick wanted to share a little bit of uh, basically a recap from the AOPA Summit event. Yeah, um, not not all that much to tell. It's it, by by the time you hear this, it was it was I guess almost a month ago, uh, right? Late, late September, and um, you know what I can tell now, looking looking at the d- data online, it was is is that it was the attendance was probably down year over year compared to to 2010. Um, it was in Hartford, and I don't know what the comparison is to the previous Hartford one, which would probably be a better comparison. But it was pretty rainy that weekend. It was um, solid overcast the whole time, and occasionally very heavy rain. Um, so much so that I the way Hartford works is there the main events at a convention center downtown, and then there there is a um, a uh, display of airplanes at uh, Brainerd Airport, which is sort of on the south side of Hartford. And uh, so there were shuttle buses and all that. And uh, <clears throat> I hadn't heard much enough to go down there and stand in the rain, frankly. So I didn't even get to Brainerd um, because of the weather. So it was about 7,000 people attending, I guess. And I think it was 10,000 in uh, 2010. So noticeably off. But it, it seemed full. You know, it seemed full enough. They did a good job with that. Um, and, the you know, I'd never been before. And so um, you guys, I think, have been at various times probably. And, and it, the sense I got was that the, the the difference between this and say a show show where there's air shows like uh, Sun and Fun or Oshkosh. Um, what's what's kind of interesting to me is that generally everybody walking around 
is either a pilot or a pilot in training, very much about how to fly um, <clears throat> and less about aviation um, sort of aficionados. You know, be, there's a lot of uh, fans of aviation that show up at bigger shows to watch the air show at, say, Oshkosh or Sun and Fun. And this tends to be a lot more about sort of hands-on stuff, which is interesting, and a lot more um, sessions and, and um, you know, exhibits about uh, about flying. And um, so I, I really enjoyed it. I'd not been before, and I went. I mostly spent my time b between walking around on the floor uh, looking at, you know, stuff that was there to, uh, but, but mostly I was in sessions. Um, I did, I, I sort of did a bunch of them from, um, from, you know, there was a meeting with, uh, Northeast, uh, controllers, uh, air traffic controllers. That was, that was really interesting. That ended up being a lot of discussion of, of specific routes. People had, you know, personal questions, you know, if, if I'm going from here to there, how come? And, uh, you know, there was some stuff, some good exchange between everybody, which I thought was great session on weather, which was generally applicable everywhere. Although it was about new England, uh, specifically, um, a really interesting session on ditching and water survival, which I think we had talked about uh, in a way in previous episodes, but with a guy named Doug Ritter, who um, I don't know if you guys know, chair, uh, chairman of the Equipped to Survive Foundation. And it was just a great, you know, reminder of what you got to be ready to do if you're over water. And uh, so that was cool. And um, there's a session with, you know, Mac, Max Trescott did on um, GPS and WASP-based based approaches um, some basic flying stuff, stick and rudder stuff that I went to just cause I'm still a, you know, low time pilot and I, you know, I'm always trying to learn that stuff. And then Michael, I sat on an interesting one with Michael Goulian, um, sort of talking about spins and the myths and realities of, of that. And, uh, so anyway, very in, sort of an intellectual learning kind of experience. And I had a lot of fun. It was pretty cool. So I would recommend, you know, when, when it comes near you or you can get to it, I would say, go to it. It's a different kind of thing, but everybody there really, really into flying as you might imagine. Uh, do they just alternate each year, or one on the West Coast, one on the East Coast year? Sort after year? of. I think next year, boy, I, I'm, I don't want to say exactly it is a West Coast location, but I don't want to quote it. I, I, okay. It's online, but we can put it. We'll put a link to it. Uh, but the year after that, they announced um, that it is going to be in Texas. I think, um, which was a change for them to try to. You know, I'm sure they bring it to places where they think they've got enough pilots in a certain radius around the location, and and they try to move it around. So there is going to be. A West Coast, then a Texas, and then maybe, um, and then maybe uh, back east again. It was it's it, last time it was in Hartford. It was four years ago. So I'm he I'm hearing Palm Springs come from uh, okay. come from come from the ether. Okay, very good. Yeah, that would make sense. So, and then I've forgotten what the Texas location was, but it'll be after that. They've also go to Florida, so my guess is they do a Texas one, a Florida one, and then maybe come back east to try to get near New York. So uh, it does move around. I, I think it also floats. Be careful. Check the dates. This was September, but previous years have been October and November. Mm -hmm. So, okay, yeah, but it Wonderful. was great. Uh, a lot of fun and and pretty good amount of uh of fellow podcasters there. Saw a few people, so that was cool. Now entering cruise flight. Like I said in the beginning of the uh, beginning of the episode, we were going to sort of change up the show format tonight. If um, for those of the listeners who've been with us for the for since episode number one, episode number one, in fact was a, um, an interview that I did with a special aviator named Mark Jones Jr. about his experience as a, uh, as a test pilot. And the idea came to me that, uh, you know, it was time to have basically another guest. So tonight's show, we're actually going to have a special guest. Um, in fact, Victoria mentioned um, this, uh, this as a product or a pick of the week in a previous episode. But um, who I'm speaking with this evening, who we've invited on to, is uh, Patrick Smith from Tailwinds Over Frederick. And I met Patrick uh, many years ago, actually, when he was a flight student. 
and uh, we sort of became reacquainted in the last few months over at a uh, at an event back up in the Frederick Maryland airport and uh, I came to learn that he had started uh, taking um, taking lessons in hot air ballooning and was working towards his commercial certificate. So we've asked Patrick to come along uh, on the show just today and explain what it's like, um, you know, going from fixed wing to lighter than air and, uh, and, and explain that journey. So welcome aboard, Patrick. Glad to have you. Hey, thank you. So, um, so yeah, like I said, I, you know, we, we kind of became reacquainted earlier in the year and uh, you were telling me about your balloon and getting into hot air ballooning. How did, how did you get started? Share that with the folks for us. Man, that's a crazy story. Actually, uh, what was happening, um, I was instructing a lot. I uh, was instructing full-time for a couple of years, and then I, I started instructing just uh, part-time after hours from my job. And every time I would go out and fly, I was just instructing. So it turned into just routine. Go out to the practice area, do the turns, do the stalls, get on back, do some landings. So I was getting into a, a grind and I was just looking for something to excite me again. I didn't have enough money in, uh, to, to go out and fly myself. Uh, so I was on the way out and uh, Frederick, Maryland is just a, a gorgeous city. And I was just looking at the city and I said, you know, I wish I could just stay right here on the way to the practice area, but just, just sit there in a chair, maybe on top of a mountain or something. And, uh, and I said it to my student. I said, you know, I'm <laughs> kind of bored with this. I wish I could just stay up here. And he said, hey, you should fly a balloon. I, man, it was like light bulb and uh, ended up that the next week I was down at Sun and Fun in Florida, one of the big aviation events, and they had a balloon uh, balloon rally on the last day. And uh, I didn't get out to it, but I w was walking into work. I was actually working for a, uh, a company that was on display out there. And I was walking in and there's the balloons flying 100 feet above the tent that I was walking into. And I just looked up and I said, good morning. And uh, it talked back to me. The guy in the balloon said, good morning. And we just had a normal <laughs> conversation. And, uh, and I said, man, that is what I want to do. And uh, as soon as I got back from Sun and Fun, I just called a local ride operator. And in, in ballooning, there are no flight instructors. Uh, there's just commercial pilots. And so if you're a commercial pilot in a balloon, you are an authorized instructor. And, uh, and I told him. You know, I, I really want to learn how to do this. And uh, he said, you know, the first thing I need you to do is come out and crew. Tell me if you like it. Uh, when you fly the balloon, you, you can't do it alone. And that, that was a big learning curve for me. You always have to have crew. <laughs> and so I came to uh, I came out to a, one of his flights and I helped him assemble the balloon. And I, when he went on the flight, I, I rode along as a, a chase uh, a, a ground support. And I did that for a couple of uh, a couple of times. I said, you know, this is pretty cool stuff. I mean, these are massive, massive aircraft. They're seventy feet tall, fifty feet wide, and uh, and then we went to a, a festival called Sky Jam in Pennsylvania, and he took me on my first flight. He just said, hey, hop in. I've got room, and uh, it was like an elevator ride, and we could go. It, it was it was amazing. Very cool. So when you first got started in this, did you have any real expectation that you would take it to the commercial level and then want to you know, be able to provide uh, flights for revenue for other folks? You know, it was funny. Uh, when I first started learning how to fly a balloon, I had absolutely no intention of ever owning a balloon 
or doing it more than just getting the lighter than air written on my pilot certificate. I was a commercial pilot, airplane, uh, single and multi-engine. And, you know, just my goal was just to fly as many airplanes as I could. And I just wanted those little words on my certificate. I figured if I did that, I would, uh, I would, you know, have a feather in my cap and move on to the next thing. Uh, once I took that first balloon flight, it turned into, hey, I want, I want to do this, and I, I might want to own an uh, own a balloon. Uh, it ended up being that for my mom's birthday, my goal was going to be, hey, let me get my certificate, and I will borrow my instructor's balloon or rent it or whatever it was, um, and I would take my mom on a flight, and I was working towards that. And so one day I talked to my instructor about solo and, you know, the eventual, what can I do with this? And he said, oh, you can't fly my balloon. So you're going to need to look for your own. And that kind of put a curveball in my plans. Uh, so I ended up actually starting to look at balloons online, uh, much to my wife's dismay. Uh, I never thought I would be an aircraft owner. But uh, we ended up finding a, a balloon that was owned by uh, a man who, in Texas who had been ballooning for 35 years. Um, he was 74, and he was just getting out of it. He said, you can have every piece of equipment. Mm -hmm. um, this is the price, and just drive it away. And I went ahead and talked to my wife, and she said, heck no. And uh, <laughs> then I uh, talked to her a little more, and we ended up buying it. And uh, we came home with it in August of, uh, of last year and started flying it. And... The, uh, the, the family was involved, so like uh, my family would come out, my nieces and nephews would come out. And every time we landed, there would be 20 people asking questions. They would just show up at the landing spot. Or I might have landed in their backyard, or they'd be following along. And they would ask. They'd say, you know, what's it like? Or can I get a ride? Or um, take me? Or, or just how does it work? And it kind of just, the, the wheels started turning in my head. And I, I said, you know, this could be a really cool way to, uh, to kind of introduce GA on a very much uh, less expensive scale. Mm -hmm. And in a different way, too. Yeah, in a different way. And uh, it, it, was, it was not until the time that I landed right outside the Maryland School for the Deaf uh, with, um, with a writer from AOPA's uh, e-publication. So uh, she was riding along with me. And I landed there and out comes from the school, there was about a hundred school kids and they all ran out and I'm, I'm laying down the aircraft and, and they're answering questions about the balloon. And these kids were so enthralled by it that I said, you know, this is something that I could really get involved in the community. And I could really probably uh, get involved in, in a possible business. I have every piece of equipment that's necessary. And so it turned into, hey, you know, I think I want to do this commercially. So my goal was private, and actually uh, I ended up having to put away the balloon for the winter. It's just the weather in this area doesn't really accommodate learning in a balloon over the winter. So it was around November that I packed it away for the winter. I uh, picked it back up in, uh, in uh, May of this year and, and actually got my private certificate. And uh, all summer long was uh, flying, and I, that's actually how uh, Victoria and I, uh, we met through, through her women pilot event, but uh, she came out and started crewing with me, and, uh, and it's just been a, a wild ride ever since. But we ended up deciding that, hey, let's do this as a business and actually as a, as a, uh, as a 
a way to just meet the community as well, because there's so much excitement. Every time we landed, there was something else going on. And, uh, you know, we'd have uh, 30 kids or be helping to pack away their balloons because their parents drove along and said, what is this? I've never seen this. So, yeah, it, it, it turned it into uh, when I got my commercial rating, it just uh, it, it worked out that we ended up uh, we ended up getting the commercial rating and just uh, starting the business right away and uh, have been doing that for the last month. All that. Yeah, that's right, because you um, you actually decided to I think if I recall correctly, you decided to go pursue taking the check ride earlier by going out. You, know, you drove uh, up north to go and get a check ride earlier. Is that correct? Yeah, I actually was uh, was planning on doing it during the week of summit. I was going to be up there for the summit. Mm -hmm. um, however, with so much activity in that uh, that um, that week, I just figured that the examiner uh, would be uh, much more convenient just to go up one weekend. Uh, one thing about the uh, flying a balloon is finding an examiner is near impossible. Uh, we ended up uh, th there's one examiner that's in. It's in Bealton, Virginia, which is about three hours away, and then the, the next closest is in Connecticut. Um, the Bealton, Virginia just wasn't available for a good while, so it was a nine-hour drive and uh, got up there, got the check right in, turned right around, came on home. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I've had quite an adventure following uh, some of your... Some of your tales through uh, not only Victoria, but watching, you know, personally knowing you um, on Facebook and Twitter. And it's it's really neat uh, for for folks out there who haven't had a, uh, you know, I'm going to give out the website. It's tailwindsoverfrederick.com. You should check out some of the photos. It's a whole neat, it's a different perspective. I've never been in a balloon. I don't, I know Victoria has, has any of my other co-hosts been in a, a hot air balloon? Uh, no, the closest I've been is um, the Goodyear Blimp. <laughs> A, wow. a totally Ooh. different thing. Totally That's different cool. Thing. Well, guys, we're going to have to fix that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. You know, I, I've heard, I, I have a, I mean, you, there's a lot of questions coming to mind, but one of the things that I remember hearing, and you touched on a little, well, a little bit in the sense that wherever you land is where you land and, and, and there are, there's a reaction, there's people around you. And I, I heard that, I don't know if I heard this on a, uh, there's a British aviation podcast I listened to. They, they were sort of talking about a key part of training is um, how to deal with the locals. You know, the idea that you're going to land sometimes where you have to have conversations with somebody who maybe isn't going to be thrilled that you just landed there. Have you had any trouble or any tricky things like that happen or is it all pretty cool? Well, one of the things we say is every balloon landing is, uh, is an accepted trespassing. Um, the <laughs> yeah. flying the balloon, learning how to fly the balloon and the, the dynamics of that, I was used to learning how to take over an aircraft and fly it and, and command it in an airspace. It was the people in the interaction, having the crew out there and ha them having myself that's flying an aircraft now also primarily responsible for someone driving on the road, driving onto people's property. It just ended up being that when you did land, normally the landowners would come out and it was, you know, a giant present that fell into their yard. Mm -hmm. But then every once in a while, you'd have the landowners that thought it was just a big problem that just came into their yard. Mm -hmm. um, we've had a couple of landings that have, uh, you know, the, the, the FAA even recommends it in their balloon flying handbook. If you land and the landowners don't want you there, you leave. You just take off and continue on. Uh, we've had a couple of landings. Um, incidentally, uh, we had a... a a certain national park that's just outside of Frederick, a very small and very unmarked national park we ended up in uh, one time. And dealing with the 
the government on the uh, the the ethics of landing in a national park uh, turned out to be one of my most interesting uh, interesting mm. communications. Mm, I bet. Every once in a while, you'll also land and you'll have uh, the emergency services thinking that you're in trouble. Um, <laughs> Victoria was there on uh, one specific morning where I've got a, pictures. Uh, <laughs> it was good. Um, <laughs> we landed and we were getting ready to pack up the balloon, and I heard uh, emergency, you know, a siren going on, and I said, "Okay, everybody, let's get the balloon out of the road because they're probably trying to get to a, a house down the street or something like that." And nope, they all stopped right around me. We had fire trucks, ambulances, and uh, a few police officers because there was an aircraft that just crashed into a neighborhood. And that's the call they got. And so they sent out an all units call. So it's really the, the community around Frederick is learning about the balloon, even just by word of mouth or when right. we land. They haven't seen one around here in years and years. So mm. I'm the only balloonist in Frederick County. Wow. So... I've, you know, again, lots of questions coming to mind. You touched on the ground crew, uh, you know, part of it, which is different than, you know, you're hopping in a single engine, you know, plane and flying yourself around. Um, so I assume that people who have balloons, some maybe do it just as a hobby or privately, but that must be a challenge for them because they have to always have a crew. Is that, you know, so is it is it generally true that it's commercial? A lot, I, have, or? I, I have actually uh, found a, a, there's a lot of sport balloonists. Most balloonists do uh, do go to festivals and the shows because they just like the community around. It is a very social event because you're you're very you can take off and poke holes in the sky and land and put it away in the hangar and nobody knows the wiser. And some people like that. Um, my wife even said that um, you're flying a balloon because you want to be the center of attention. <laughs> if you're the center of attention in an airplane, you've done something horribly wrong. So. Sure. Um, there are a number of people who, who love to crew, uh, Victoria's, uh, fiance, um, actually decided that, you know, he just said, I just love coming out and helping. So I'm finding people like that, that are just so willing to come out and help. And also my family is just get, uh, wanting to be along. Obviously everybody likes to fly. So we try to get them in as much as possible, but there are, I would say that there are a majority of commercial balloon pilots. Uh, however, there are a lot of sport balloon pilots, and that's just uh, just the private balloon pilot. Cool. It used to be that you went directly to commercial. There, uh, you could just take the ride right for commercial. And in the generation uh, that's above me in ballooning, uh, there's just uh, those guys came in with just just a different way of training. They just went right to the commercial and started doing rides. Right. I could see why that would happen, given the logistics of it. But maybe in a in a, a different generation that maybe cultivates, you know, more like, you, you know, if you've got friends who want to help and, and they're into it and they're around, you, you could have it be a sport thing and not have to generate revenue from it um, as long as everybody had some fun. So I could see that, too, now for sure. Yeah, for the last year, actually, before I got my commercial, um, I was just, in fact, before I got my private, I had to only fly solo. So I was having people out and helping me, and I was just abusing them. Uh, Victoria, how many mornings did I have you come out for uh, at uh, half an hour before sunrise? Many of so. my mornings started with the phrase, I hate Patrick. That's <laughs> all I have to say about that. Is that where all the angry uh, hedgehog photos came from? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, 
doing that, uh, you know, you really, it is, it's, <laughs> yeah, you have to have people who are willing to come out and you always want to have them on standby. There's many, many mornings that, uh, that are perfect to fly and in ballooning, you have to learn patience because there are very, uh, few mornings that are perfect to fly just because five knots of wind is too windy. Uh, so, you know, you just have to take that mentality and pull it back. But there was wait, many. Wait, say that. Say that again. What is too much? About yeah. five five knots of uh -huh. wind is right. probably too windy to fly the balloon. Right, right. So those dead calm, and that's why the balloons fly just in the morning and just just in the evening, uh, just because you can't find that uh, that controllable wind. You just really have to, uh, you know, it just takes too much. Um, but doing that, there were so many mornings that I would have to cancel because I couldn't find crew. I just couldn't find anybody who wanted to help. And so I turned to uh, Facebook and Twitter just to get people out. <laughs> when I started doing that, I would show up and people weren't very responsive on, yes, I am going to come out. And I'd have 15 people show up. So <laughs> it was a little crazy. Well, very cool. What um, I'm, I'm not quite sure all that really goes into, say, crewing and being part of the chase. Uh, I mean, you, do you, you obviously need some help setting up the balloon um and and getting it out i mean connecting it to the basket how does that how does all that work sure um i drive i, I just drive uh, my pickup truck and i have a six by ten trailer that has all of the, the components now the balloon itself is a component of the envelope which is the fabric colors uh the burner and the uprights and the tanks which are the components that create the fire it's using propane gas as well as the gondola that's the basket so all of those has to be, have to be assembled. And to get the balloon to the point where it is actually air, uh, is standing up and ready to take off, you're required to, uh, to assemble everything. Now the balloon itself, the, or excuse me, the envelope itself is about 290 pounds of fabric. And so getting that, you already need three or four people. It's 70 feet long. So you have to have people that will hold it down while you inflate it and actually just blow air in with a gasoline-powered fan, holding one end open while it just captures the air, and then somebody stabilizing the top. So if those two to three knots of wind are blowing it back and forth. Um, getting all of that ready and assembled, once you actually uh, have the balloon about two-thirds filled, you'll take the first, which are just, uh, they take the liquid propane gas and they have heat exchangers that empower them uh, just at, to come out in a pencil-thin explosion of, uh, of fire. You'll actually heat that air. And as the air heats, it'll expand and start to rise. And it'll take that 300 pounds of uh, envelope and just lift it right off the ground. So as that's happening, this entire aircraft is half stable. So it's just all over the place. So you have people just stabilizing and holding down while you're making sure that no one's getting hurt or nobody's falling into the flame or nobody's in the fan. So having all these people around, uh, once you take off, if I went solo, all of these people are there. And also I need help putting it back away. When I land that chase car with the trailer is actually following along while I'm flying and just if somebody's navigating, somebody's driving and somebody's just following the balloon and I'm talking to them through radio 
And so uh, that chase crew will actually come and <laughs> the goal is for them to meet me when I land so they can help me uh, control it as, uh, as quickly as possible. But sometimes uh, it's, <laughs> it's a difficult challenge to find a landing spot that's near a road. So they will, uh, they will go ahead and chase along. And as soon as they are able, um, they get there and we'll just reverse the process, open up a vent that lets the air out and then pack it away. So you have a, you have a period there sometimes where you're kind of on your own until they show up. Uh, that is, that is definitely true. Um, we, that's one of the other reasons why, uh, if, if I'm landing in a knot of wind, I need a hundred feet to get the 1800 pounds of just mass that I'm flying to stop. If it's two knots, it's 200 feet and just keep going. It's about a, for every hundred feet. So there are times where I'll come in and they're not to me yet. And I'll be bouncing along, bouncing along and trying to get this thing controlled. So yeah, I will, um, I will try to stabilize the balloon and then just wait for my support crew to come. Now, if I have passengers, there's a couple of things people can do, but the, the effect is think of a balloon on a string and, um, you know, how much lift can you just uh, go ahead and take out of it for it to just drag on the ground? Well, it still wants to stop. So it's just dragging and dragging and dragging. There are days when the wind picks up more than forecast and you'll land with six, seven knots. And the only option you have is to open up the deflation line and drag for 100, 200 yards. Wow. Are you, and so you're on your side at that point? Yeah. Um, it, you'll start with one good smack and a bounce and, uh, and and then eventually when you're opening up that line, the balloon starts to deflate and picks up like a sail. And so the fastest, uh, the faster you can open up that line, it will push the air right out of it. And then you are just waiting for the fabric to all uh, lose the air and just drag out. So it's called, it's called a drag out landing. And so uh, we carry helmets on board and the basket is made of a, is made of wicker. It's a, a steel frame with wicker laced into it so that it can absorb the shock so that the pilot and the passengers do not. Is there, is, is it always some degree of a, of a bounce and drag or are there calm enough days that you just set it down and it hangs there? Oh, that's the ideal. Um, and, and actually you have a, what's called the hands-on landing. It's just that, uh, you know, playing with just the proper amount of heat just so you can just inch by inch lower it down safely to the ground on a certain on certain days you can put it exactly where you want it uh victoria and bob uh, they came along with me where we were an inch above a river and just in between the river banks and we wanted to just go ahead and touch that water and how long were we there victoria about three four minutes just uh just about two inches above the above the ground oh that's That's beautiful Absolutely wow. beautiful. Yeah, you'll have to look at the photos, Rick. Uh, I think I don't know if I've those seen, are. All, yeah, I've seen some photos, but I'm going to have to go back through them. They're really cool. I mean, that's the that's the appeal. You know, I don't live, I don't live close enough, probably. But um, you know, I would I I the crew part for me would be interesting at certain points, if possible, because of the photography part that I know Bob's probably into as well. Which is yep. these things are amazing, you know, to look at and be around. And so, you know, the chance to help and, you know, and catch some images would be amazing. So. But well, I love, I, would, I love hearing this stuff. I mean, it's like a, that, that was you just described equivalent of a you know a kind of a greaser landing. You know, for, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, um, for all of my crew, what I and this is actually how I learned. Um, instead of paying my instructor, um, he would he had regular passenger carrying flights, and he needed crew. 
on every one of them. So for him to make money, he had to have these other people. And unfortunately, he just couldn't pay them. So f to earn instruction, I did an exchange. I would crew for him and then he would take me flying. So I did that. I think I did 47 crews for him and uh, I got all of my training uh, done. So with my crew, anytime I have the chance, I love carrying people along. It's just, it's, it's an experience that it's just, you can't get in an airplane and be five inches off of the trees and grab a leaf and then uh, fly back up. And so, you know, just working the wind, sometimes you have to be right above the treetops. And it's just, it's amazing. It's, it's so much different than being in an airplane. I have a, a sort of related airplane question. I don't know if this it makes sense, but do you have, for, and forgetting the crew and what you should pay them and what, and what their time's worth and all that, <laughs> is there some cost uh, based on the propane and other things per Per, per hour of flying, or do you have some sense of how you balance, you know, how you factor that? Sure. Fuel consumption is very much dependent on temperature and weight that you carry. Uh, the balloon that I fly is, uh, is 90,000 cubic feet of volume, um, and that's where how much air is inside, and I'm having to heat that. So if I were to fly solo on a cold morning, let's say it's 10 degrees out, I might only need to get that air to... 90 degrees inside. And so that's not going to take much propane at all. It's going to take maybe 10 gallons uh, in a two hour flight if I could get that long. Mm -hmm. However, take it to middle of summer, uh, you're in 85 degrees and you're taking three passengers. And so there's uh, there's a thousand pounds of, of just people in the balloon uh, along with uh, everything else you're probably only able to fly for about 45 minutes before you've used three times that fuel, about 30 gallons. Wow. And so uh, propane uh, is, uh, I get it for $3 a gallon and, you know, retail or, or delivery, it's, a, it's on average about $3 a gallon. Mm -hmm. um, that as well as the depreciation on the envelope, the hotter the envelope gets, the faster it will eventually become what's called porous and the air, will, it, the heat will just degrade the fabric to the point where it's just unairworthy. So right. you have about 400 to 500 hours on a normal envelope. Wow. So that being said, you can take the cost of an envelope, uh, you know, it's about the cost of a new car for, um, a, you know, a, a medium sedan for the envelope. And you just divide that by about 500 hours. So right. on a normal flight, I'll have about $150 of expense. Wow. But that, that's all fascinating. That, that, that all that stuff you have to consider. It's very cool. It makes sense. Total makes sense. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, it seems kind of scary that, that I was just looking at your photos on your website. You actually come down next to those trees and the lake and the rivers. And I'm just thinking in my head, is it, aren't you ever scared you're going to, you're going to, I don't know. It seems to me you're going to fall. You're going to touch. It's, I, I know you're, you're, uh, you're able to adjust your altitude fairly easily, but it just seems like, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm going to fall down. I guess I'm so used to airplanes, but one of the things, <laughs> one of the things I've really had to, uh, to get used to was in an airplane, if I were to be, uh, coming in for landing and I'm a little too low and I'm approaching the runway too quick, all you have to do is just pull back a little harder on the yoke and you can work in that flare. In a balloon, you have an eight to 10 second delay before the, the process of the burner. The burner engages, it creates fire, that fire expands the air and it begins to rise. And that takes about eight to 10 seconds for any reaction. So if you're 50 feet off the ground and you're descending at 200 feet a minute and you burn, you might, might be able to uh, slow yourself, but 
the, the natural mentality from a, a balloon pilot, or excuse me, a, an airplane pilot, would just be to keep burning, keep burning, keep burning until you get to the ground while you're still <laughs> considerably uh, approaching the ground fast. And so what happens is that reaction comes right as you touch the ground and then you shoot up like a rocket. So <laughs> that reaction time is really what you have to learn. And that takes, uh, you know, I call it finesse. It's just, it just takes time to realize that if you see a tree approaching, uh, you're flying along and there's a tree, you have to know when to burn so that you can have that reaction time and ascend up just above that tree. And uh, we call that contour flying. And that's a, a very uh, highly adapted skill. And it's uh, one of the primary focuses of the commercial uh, PTS, practical test standards. So sounds a little, a little like staying ahead of the balloon. Yeah, right. it, it really, you really have to. Uh, there's uh, on numerous solo flights, I found myself uh, <laughs> uh, shoulder deep in trees <laughs> trying to uh, just burn okay. to get out of them. And, you know, you just get in the basket and you just watch the branches. <laughs> so would you think that, uh, say, people with like a fixed wing rating would have a tougher time trying to transition to a balloon than someone just, just off the street never flown before? There's a, a major advantage somebody with a fixed wing rating has. It's airspace. Oh. The fact that you know, you know that just the, the process of being in the air and seeing things from the ground or seeing things from the air, um, that whole mentality is taken away. Uh, but there is one thing that they actually, uh, they actually realized, the FAA, when they created their balloon flying handbook, realized that an airplane pilot has a tendency to always fly higher than necessary. So you never want to get close to the ground. And so you have a higher tendency to, uh, to when you need to land, miss that landing spot or have to come in too quick to reach that landing spot that approaches. And the reason for that is airplane pilots are used to flying well above your obstacles where you don't have a fear of the height. You have a fear of hitting what is uh, down there, the, the, the trees or what have you, where somebody who's coming into ballooning has a tendency to always fly too low and actually have a higher tendency to run into things like towers, guy lines, or power lines. And uh, power lines are one of the biggest problems uh, because they're so, so incredibly uh, um, hard to see when you're right there down with them. And a balloon doesn't always fly treetops. Uh, we, we still have the same minimum safe altitudes. The 500 feet and uh, 1,000 1, feet above the highest obstacle, et cetera. But except for the purposes of landing. And there's a point in the flight where you're looking for a place to land and you have to use all of the available changes in wind direction to find how to get to the field that you've picked or the field that's approaching. So that's why you need to get down to the trees. So um, I never, uh, you know, that's the, that was the biggest thing I had. Wow, that's what cool about, stuff. Um, what about uh, how you pick out your launch sites and stuff in regards to prevailing winds and what's around you and the space you need? Because I know we, we've used quite a few different spots. So maybe talk about what you go into to figure out what kind of launch space you're going to use. Sure. Uh, the launch site is uh, is actually the first thing that I'll always look at. Obviously, it's it's necessary. But one of the things about landing is you're showing up, and so you never really have to ask permission. You ask permission once you get there. But a launch site is going. You're going to be there for 45 minutes, getting everything ready. Um, when we, I'll actually look at the prevailing winds on the surface, as well as from 3,000 feet. 
I'll rarely go any higher than 3,000 feet. And so I can see that if the winds on the surface are directly from the south, so they're going north, and the winds at 3,000 feet are going northeast, well, I know that I'm heading somewhere in that direction. If I want to go more east, I'll climb higher. I want to go more north, I'll just descend. And so I'll have to find the area where I'm going to fly um, and, and pick to make sure that I've got a, an acceptable start location so that my end location isn't in restricted airspace or maybe into uh, like the SFRA that's very uh, close to Frederick, as well as if the winds are light, I don't want to get over a congested area. Landing on Market Street in downtown Frederick doesn't really sound like a great idea in my book. So um, we need a place that's about 150 feet by 150 feet. And preferably there's a tree line that gives us some protection from the wind. So when we are setting up the balloon, it's a lot less to control. And, uh, you know, it's just the winds aren't uh, blowing the, the balloon around. Victoria came with me where we had a, a, a perfect location that pretty much matched that. However, we took off at about 2.30 and uh, <laughs> are your arms sore still? <laughs> Yes, I got some new muscles I never thought I had. Yeah, uh, controlling a balloon in eight or nine knots of wind uh, at that early was uh, a little interesting. So that's all by yourself. <laughs> yeah, uh, having enough crew is also an acceptable uh, excuse on that one. So, what kind of? Um, I was curious, being up there, you know, when you're not under burn. It's, I mean, is it just, it's quiet, isn't it? It's just like you're floating through the air and you can hear the sounds below you. It's, it's absolutely silent except for one small thing. I always thought it would be very silent. And one of the things that I, I do actually keep as just a safety blanket is the pilot lights, the, 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 the fire that stays on all the time. It's just like your pilot light on your stove. Oh, right. Um, uh, so it's a slight hiss. But it never bothers. You know, you don't hear it. It's not droning. And that's one thing that's completely different. In an airplane, it's droning. You can't hear the dog's bark or you can't hear um, just the, the traffic driving down the road. Um, coming across the trees at 100 feet and seeing somebody sitting on the porch drinking their morning coffee and you say, good morning, and they look up at you and they say, good morning. And you can have a communication. You can talk to them. It's just it's. It, it's amazing. And so that that silence, uh, you know, other than that pilot light is amazing. You can hear, you know, farm animals, but the dogs barking is probably the most prevailing. Uh, the burners themselves send out an ultrasonic hiss and they just go crazy. Mm -hmm. so. Well, in a, in, a, in a similar question, I have no experience with balloons being around them, being in them or anything like that. So from from a standpoint of Say, for instance, you know, when you're coming into a landing area, I mean, from pe um, people on the ground, can they be heard? I mean, can the balloon be heard, like, sort of quietly wisping through the sky? Sure. Um, you can probably hear the balloon from about half a mile away. It sends out about uh, 100 decibels when you're burning. You really just hear, like, oh, it's like a whoosh. Like, mm -hmm. think of a big gust of wind or a, it's... It's such a different sound. It's it's not really a uh, a loud sound like you wouldn't plug your ears, but it would drone everything out. It would just be a white noise. So uh, with that, people will always you know it, it brings people to the realization, hey, what's that noise? Let me go check it out. And then that's also one of the things that uh um that is 
good because it pulls people out of their house and they come out and they say, you know, it's just the smiles on the face and their faces are just amazing when you can land uh, right next to them. And they just say, oh, my gosh, I mean, my balloon is 70 feet tall. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> just the, the looks on their faces when that shows up is uh, you just don't expect it. Well, yeah, hey, Patrick. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yes. Sorry. I just wanted him to tell a quick story since he was talking about, you know, the silence and relaxation of such a flight. Um, tell them about the time you're going over the farmland and you got scared because something came out of the silence. Was it the peacocks? No, not the peacocks. Oh. Think oh, no. man on his farm. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this is great. May 21st, International Learn to Fly Day. Um, some uh, Just two of my most amazing flights in the balloon. I did a solo flight and uh, the wind was such that it was uh, on the surface, it was to the south. So I drove, I took the wind to the south and then I climbed up and went north. So I was actually approaching my land, my takeoff location. I could actually go back to it. I did that the second time and I was working that ability to drop down into a field and it was just a it was just a wheat field and I'm flying along and I'm taking pictures because burn 40 seconds later, I'm burning again. So I'm taking pictures of my shadow. And then I hear, well, good morning there. And I freaked out. There's not supposed to be somebody else talking to me. I'm in the middle of nowhere. What's happening? And I turn around and there's just a man standing there in the middle of the field. And he said, that's a pretty balloon. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and just a farmer in the middle of his field picking up rocks and sticks and 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 I said, "Ah, good good morning." <laughs> and I burned and climbed right back right on up. But it was just the fact that I was that close to someone that you know I'm pulling this this aircraft in and I'm brushing the tops of you know four feet off the deck and this guy just says, just just as natural as can be just says good morning. So it was a uh, it was. As a little scary, just because I didn't expect him to be there, but it was just that that idea. That's so cool. I'll have to come out in the spring and and uh, and do crew and and see what it's all about. I know I didn't get a chance to do that this year, but it definitely it's actually sounds pretty a lot fun. of fun. Yeah, you know, it sounds well, like work, which it is, but you really enjoy yourself and even like just chasing in the car. You know, it's, it's well, it's an it's adventure. A, you know, it's it's yeah, pretty cool. Well, we're still flying up until probably about mid-November where our current balloon will be sold and we're, we're going to be balloonless. However, we just, uh, we just ordered from one of the two remaining balloon manufacturers, we just ordered a, uh, a balloon that's 15% larger and it's going to be custom built over the next 18 weeks and we should pick it up in, uh, in end of February and be ready for the uh, 2012 filing, flying season. And when, is, when do you expect that season to open? May um, or not May, like March or so earlier. Probably spring. in March. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a brand new balloon, so everything, uh, all the components in the assembly will be just a little different. And um, I want to go out and fly a couple of times just to get used to how it flies. It's fifteen percent bigger. It's one hundred and five thousand cubic feet. It's uh, seventy five feet tall and sixty eight feet wide. So it's a uh, it's a lot more balloon, and uh, I'm able to carry comfortably a lot more and so with doing that i want to get out and probably fly for about six seven flights uh so we're really going to start probably mid-march uh but the winds still have to calm down they really right. just don't calm down until probably april right. um so you know we'll we'll keep scheduling our passengers because they keep calling however 
it's the fact that you just have to you keep having to cancel. You know, I just in the last week because of all this rain that Maryland's getting, I canceled six flights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that is that is just so cool. And I know we probably have, uh, you know, the rest of us have a bunch more questions. Um, and I'd like to actually invite you back on a future episode and tell us some more about uh, probably maybe in the spring, especially when you get the new balloon and tell us what it's like and what's different um, and and uh, and have you on the show again. Uh, but I mentioned earlier your website's tailwindsoverfrederick.com for folks who want to check it out, see the photos, get some information for making reservations. But if our listeners have any questions for you directly, how can they get a hold of you, say, on Facebook or Twitter? Sure. Um, we are uh, tailwindsfdk on Twitter. And then we also have uh, facebook.com forward slash tailwindsoverfrederick. Um, one of the cool things about our website is we do have a photo gallery, and we have currently 100 pictures in there. Uh, but we're going to keep adding to that. Um, even if you're from out of the area and you're not looking to fly with us, just come there and just look at the pictures. Um, uh, Bob, uh, Victoria's uh, boyfriend, has just taken some amazing photos for us, and and my wife has been uh, just loading them up. Uh, just look at some of the fun you can have, and then find a local balloon operator and Go out and crew. Just call them up. Say, I want to come out and be a part of this. I can tell you, no one will turn you away. <laughs> you know, if I, I'm going to go ahead and ask now, but my guess is we can use some of those pictures in in the data of this podcast. Of course. Yeah, you know, so, uh, definitely. You know, just, it'll, it'll be great. I mean, people who've been watching, and we'll make sure we tell them about it, but throughout this whole conversation, we can show some of the, you know, some of the shots that just show it off in all its amazing glory, you know? Sure, and I think uh, I think that the video, uh, the excuse me, the video of the flight that Victoria uh, took with us is online, and uh, maybe that can be on there too, because that's a uh, that one where oh. we had our, our splash and dash, uh, get Victoria's feet a little wet as we dip into the water. <laughs> cool, wonderful. I like to torture me like that. <laughs> <laughs> wet feet, wet feet, wet feet. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, we appreciate having you on this evening uh, on behalf of myself, Victoria, Carl, and Rick. Thanks for again coming on for the episode i'm definitely going to invite you back in the near future um and if uh again folks if you want to learn anything about ballooning or like i said check uh check anything out about patrick and uh what what he's all about tailwinds over frederick.com our picks of the week well, well, moving on to the uh, finishing portion of the show here is our picks of the week, where we sit down and share our one of our um, aviation products or services that we've found relevant or helpful or neat. And uh, we'll go ahead and start off with uh, Victoria's this evening. She's got uh, a very neat website. Oh, yeah. Well, it's not. Yeah, it's a special on a travel web- website about the world's scariest runways. And there's 17 of them, and I've seen a lot of these lists that kind of describe and show a picture and stuff, but each one of these has a video, too, so you can kind of watch people take off and land on these just insane runways. And um, I watched every single one, I'm ashamed to say, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, I enjoyed it, so there. Um, That's on travelandleisure.com, and this is going to be long, slash articles, slash the, dash worlds, dash scariest dash runways oh boy and oh. uh if you got that all yeah we'll, yeah, we'll put that notes. in the notes yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of fun to check out so you can read all about them you can watch the video which is my favorite part because i don't read so what <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna skip that one but what was which one was your favorite one 
Oh, I'm scrolling through them right now. I'm trying to find it. It was um, it was a wintry one, and the runway. I mean, it went up and down and up and down, and I think every passenger on it would probably get nauseous because it was it was bumpy. Mm-hmm. And then then of course they have the classic like the one over St. Martin in the beach where it blows people away into the water. That's always a good one too. So quite a few. I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, well, neat. I'll, I'm going to share mine next because I know Rick and Carl have something that's kind of associated to uh, to the ballooning. Oh, did I cut you off, Victoria? No, you're good. I'm oh, done talking. Okay, good, good. You be quiet now. It's my turn. Yeah. Here we go. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> my pick of the week. Uh, a a friend of ours actually on um, on Twitter has started a flight instruction blog. Ron Klutz. Uh, has got, he got a CFI over um, this year, and he's currently right now, I think, just in the finishing stages of his uh, CFII. He started a blog over at rightseatflying.com, and um, the idea of the blog is basically a place for him to share what he learns from his not you know not only what his students learn from him through flight instruction but what he learns as a new instructor and uh, i know there's not a lot up there just yet the blog is new but um it looks like it's going to be something to follow along with his updates and flying and he he uh, he's very very good um you know for a beginning blogger uh, at least on this website there's a lot of details uh great some great stories on there so uh, if you check it out, it's rightseatflying.com. And I forget, I think he's, let's see, he's on Twitter as, um, what is it, uh, Cap CFI? I forget. Do you remember, Rick? CFI, uh, I think it's Captain Ron. Captain Ron. That's what I was like. Yeah, it Captain Ron. It might be Ron. Captain underscore Ron, but I'm not sure. Okay. Wonderful. Um, yeah, so check it out. It's, uh, it's a new uh, new avi- aviation blog. So um, moving along, we'll go ahead. And Rick, you wanted to share something that was sort of balloon related. Yeah, it is. And it's it's not something that I actually have any practical experience with yet. But I thought uh, I would look around. You know, my, my first thought is always, is there an app for that? And so I went looking. And um, and I don't. I, so I'm not going to recommend this from personal experience, but it does look fairly cool. And it's a, it's an iPhone. At least the, the version I found is for iPhone and iPad both. Um, there may be one for Android and others. Um, it's called Hot Air, so it's easy to remember name. And it is essentially a hot air balloon logging, a flight logging uh, app that works on both uh, platform. You know, both the, the pad and the phone. Um, it's it's 4.99, so it's it's actually you know not one of your you know, cheap, uh, low end ones. And so, you know, you, you want to expect to get something for that. There's, uh, most of the, the ratings are, are almost five stars practically. Um, and, um, it's, uh, it's basically got a bunch of things that you would expect from a flight logging program, but all, you know, designed to, you know, focus on what, you know, a balloon, uh, flight data tends to be. So there's information, you know, there's a, there's a flight log, um, number of passengers, maximum envelope temperature, propane used, you know, all that stuff that we've talked about earlier, which I until tonight knew nothing about. Um, and then there's maps, the GPS logs your flight. Um, you can tally flight hours and trips flown and, you know, all the normal stuff you would expect from a logging program. It looks pretty cool. And um, so if you are interested in that and you have a hankering to try it out, it's called Hot Air and uh, it's in the uh, um, iTunes, uh, the App Store. Great. And Carl, yours was also uh, balloon rated. I think you had two um, 
So go ahead and explain those. Yes, just a, you know, it's interesting listening to Patrick. It, people in ballooning are so passionate about ballooning and they get want you to get involved and they want to share that experience. And uh, recently, about a year and a half ago, I, I was able to meet with a gentleman named Rob Shantz. And, and Rob Shantz, he's, uh, he actually was one of the uh, former presidents of the Balloon Federation of America. Well, he has been insuring balloons for, gosh, about the t past 15 years or so. And uh, he went over all the different types of insurance with me uh, and also the different expenses in, in trying to get your balloon license, et cetera. And if you're interested maybe in buying a balloon or, or wondering what the costs would be like to actually insure a balloon, either a commercial or your own private balloon, it's a great website to go to. And he he has some great insurance compared to any others. Uh, it's uh, you know he has worldwide hull damage, et cetera. He um, he also has a really neat part of his website that I think would be interesting to everybody, and that's uh, that's actually his balloon of the month. And I'm thinking that uh, eventually. Uh, he, uh, Bob or Victoria or somebody will be taking a, a picture of one of Patrick's balloons and be submitting it there too. And it's at uh, hotairballooninsurance.com. It's again, that's hotairballooninsurance.com. And uh, for everybody interested in balloons and some really cool shots, look at the uh, balloon of the month. Uh, and that that uh, kind of segues into my my next uh, pick of the week is and it's kind of far out now but in July there's this wonderful balloon festival right near where I grew up in New Jersey and it's at uh, Solberg Airport it's called the Festival of Ballooning and it's the uh, largest summertime balloon festival and you get to see some really cool looking balloons all these different uh, characters and features and uh, they actually have you know uh, a little owl and they have this wonderful night moon glow and all the balloons they go up in the air and they're lit up in these wonderful shapes and what they started doing actually recently and I thought this was pretty cool is uh, another uh, uh, feature, Jennifer the Cannon Lady. If he's, <laughs> it was, what? <laughs> yeah, Jennifer the Cannon Lady. Her name's Jennifer Smith, and she actually launches she, uh, from a cannon, and uh, she's become an, a regular part of actually these uh, of the show. The other cool thing for folks like me who like retro music and uh, is uh, this year I think what is it uh, ABBA and uh, and Meatloaf. They'll actually be uh, playing there, or that was last year. I think I forget who's coming up next year, but uh, some really, really good uh, folks out there, and it's just absolutely phenomenal uh, to watch these folks go up. and uh, And luckily, you know, almost uh, every week I get to see somebody launch from uh, from Solberg Airport, and I'd suggest anybody to check out their website just for the pictures. And if you get a chance, come on by. It's uh, about uh, three days long, usually two to three days long. Very cool. And that's balloonfestival.com. Fun. Very fun. Well, um, I'd like to ask our, you know, some feedback from the listeners before we do close out the show today. And uh, do let us know, you know, if you've liked the format, if you do enjoy us changing it up every once in a while, having a guest speaker. I've been trying to stick to, uh, to what I call an interesting aviator, somebody, uh, you know, who's doing something a little bit different out there in the aviation community. Please let us know on the blog at stuckmikeavcast.com or on Twitter or Facebook. Let us know what your thoughts are, maybe even if you have a, a recommendation for a future guest. The After Landing Checklist. So before we do get going, I want everybody to be able to get a moment to, uh, to tell the folks how they can get a hold of them. Carl, how can uh, listeners get a hold of you? Uh, you can find me at my blog, expertaviator.com, 
or on Twitter at Expert Aviator. And Victoria. Um, on Twitter, I'm at ToriaFly, and my blog is ToriaFlies.blogspot.com. And Rick. Uh, R. Felty on Twitter, R. D. Felty on YouTube, and RickFelty.com. And you guys can reach uh, me, Len, at ThePilotReport.com. I'm also The Pilot Report on Facebook and on Twitter. From myself, uh, Victoria, Rick, Carl, and our special guest this evening, Patrick, we thank you all for tuning into episode number 11 of the Stuck Mike Abcast. We appreciate you, uh, and we look forward to getting together for episode 12. And thanks again, and clear skies and calm winds, everybody. Take care. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Abcast is an aviation podcast brought to you by thepilotreport.com, a Len Costa production.